So I'm, I'm a big fan of stories, and I really enjoy a novel. I don't always have the time to, to read a lot of books, but I really enjoy when a book like really captures you, and then there's, there's a really nice explanation of the different characters, and you see as the story goes on how the characters develop, and there's, there's a plot. And as you're busy reading, you start forming this picture of what the, what the world is that the author is shaping. And you have these different circumstances, and they start making you think, like, oh, okay, cool. I know what's going to happen next. This is going to come in. This is going to come in. There's these different scenarios. And because you start understanding the people and uh, understanding the way that their world works, you anticipate certain things. But one thing I, I really enjoy in books is where the author's done such a good job to, to like push you into a certain direction and a way of thinking. And then at some point, you're like, whoa, 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 what, what just happened? There's some circumstance, some event that you're like, I did not see this coming at all. But like, whoa. And then as you go on, you're like, oh, okay, this is how it fits in. This is, this is what happens. Now, something like that is, is awesome when reading a book, but it's not always that nice in our own lives when things like that happen. So we, we grow up, we get exposed to different things, and our experiences sh start shaping the way that we see the world. So it's shaping the way that we anticipate things to happen and the way our lives are supposed to play out, and that if I do this, that this will happen. But oftentimes we'll be confronted with something contrary. And I think everyone to some degree has experienced that. And on the one side, if, if it's like God coming through in an incredible way and connecting us to people or opening up an opportunity or even our salvation, it's, it's awesome. But on the flip side, I think all of us have been confronted with the reality of, of things that's not so nice that actually happens to us. Whether it's directly in our own lives, um, being confronted with a difficult situation, whether it's around us, um, heard news of, of one of the people in the congregation whose grandmother passed away yesterday or the day before as well. Just all these, all these sort of things that just throw a curveball sometimes that we did not anticipate this. This is not the way that we have, have thought the world to be, to be. And it's interesting for me, um, just especially over the last two years, and I think it's also as you come closer in church and as you build more relationships, um, you, you do get confronted with more and more people's difficulties and suffering. And even in the wider church, um, I think with social media and stuff, we get exposed to a lot of stories. And you, you see how, how some people are faced with really, really hectic things. And they come out on the other side and they turn their back on God. And just the things that happen to them are so out of their framework and, and upset them so much that, that they just tend to fall away. And on the other side, again, you see people that are in the midst of suffering and they come through strong. They come through running harder after God. They come through humble, but they come through like continually like growing in Jesus. And I, I think it's yo, we've had such incredible stories just even in this congregation, thinking of Francois and Yannette last year who who lost their, lost their baby, thinking of Wilma Ray, who at the end passed away of cancer, but ran after God until the end. Think of Emma Selly, who's, who's got like every sickness you can think of, but still just pressing into God. And then there's this like awkward middle ground where people tend to keep their faith, but they just shrink back. 
in the way that they see God and the way that they live out their Christian lives. And it, things like this really interest me, just to, to know, like, why is it that some people have this response and other people have this response? And I think a part of that, and I don't want to oversimplify it, but I think a part of that has to do with what I'm going to collectively speak about, world, uh, like their, a person's worldview. And so when, when I'm referring to worldview, just for the sake of the sermon, I'm, I'm speaking specifically about the view that we have of God, the view that we have God interacting with the world, and then the view that we have of ourselves and the role that we play within the world. So in the next 30 minutes, I'm going to give you the answers to have the perfect worldview to walk out and not be thrown by any circumstance. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. <laughs> um, so I don't think that is my responsibility at all. I think the ball's very much in your courts in, in terms of, of having this continually shape. But there's certain things that I think I've picked up and picked up just in my own life over this last year that um, that has challenged me. And, and there's three things that I actually want to get to today. So the, the first is I just want to provoke us to start thinking, like, what is it that we believe? What is it that we hold on to? Because when we actually place in, a circum in certain circumstances, these things are going to come out. And then I want to tackle a, a common thing that I, I see people believe um, and just hopefully untangle and break that down a bit. And I'm really trusting that, that through this that God will come and do something cool in us. So just in terms of, of understanding what it is that you think and what it is that you believe, it's for a lot of people, I think it's it's very implicit. You don't go about your everyday thinking, this is the worldview that I have. This is the way that I see certain things. But like I said, placed in certain circumstances, those things come out. So I think there's a, there's a responsibility on our side to actually steward that and make sure that we train ourselves in those things. But just, I was trying to think, how can we figure out what is this underlying thought that we have? And thinking about myself, I realize that this typically comes out when I have to give advice to other people and then when I'm confronted with things in my own life. So I want to throw some scenarios out to you and consider the way that you would respond to this. So I said in this idea of the worldview that firstly, what is the picture of God that we have? Secondly, what is the role of God within the world? And then thirdly, like where do we fit in and what is our responsibility? So I'm going to give three, three scenarios and picture yourself a person comes to you, you sitting across that person, and they throw this question out. Think about what your response would be. So I'm going to consider difficulty, dis what difficulty, disappointment, despair. So firstly, difficulty. A, a new believer comes to you, and you've seen how they gave their heart to the Lord. You've seen how, how God has really done an awesome work within their lives. And they come to you and they say, um, it's been incredible this first while walking with Jesus, but they've actually sat with depression their whole lives. And as they came to the Lord, they thought that this thing would go away. They experienced the initial joys of, of walking with Jesus, but now they're confronted with this thing again. Like, Should our relationship with God not take away these sort of things? 
as someone says that to you, what goes through your mind? Like, when you think about the answer that you would give, what is the view of God that you have? What is the advice that you give them? Maybe another scenario of, of disappointment. So someone who really felt that God was in something, and it, it caused them to take action, and this thing just completely backfired, or didn't play out the way that they thought it would. And they're sitting with this deep disappointment of like, I had faith, I trusted God, I stepped out, and this happened. How do you respond? What do you think about? And thirdly, in despair, um, say for example, a new believer or whoever comes to you and, and they, they share about a family member of theirs who's been diagnosed with cancer. And it's, a, it's an incredible person who's running after God. It's like, how, how can God allow something like this? Again, what goes through your mind? Like, how, what is the picture, if you have to give an answer, what is the picture that you paint of God? What is the picture that you paint of the way that God handles that circumstance? And what is the responsibility of either that person or the person who's been diagnosed within this situation? So, I think that's just a tool for me in, in understanding like what it is that's going on within our minds. And something that I saw just in, in the last few months and, and some challenges that I've faced is there's a, a common trend in advice that people tend to give. There's this common answer that people give when it comes to, to disappointment, difficulty, and despair. That's a partial truth but I think actually misses something of God. And I want to look at the book of Job. I've never preached out of the book of Job or anything out of Job. Um, but I want to look at this because I think it's a, it's a really good uh, story that, that challenges us actually quite deeply. And I think we can, we can miss the beauty of it just by focusing on little parts. So I'm going to try to run through the whole book of Job <laughs> in the next few minutes, um, and I, I, I'm only going to focus in on specific parts, but if you have not read the book of Job, we'll give you some context. So, it starts off with Job, this, this man who lived in the land of Uz, <laughs> whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. They were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. So, as in our friend group, we would say, Pop is back. <laughs> this guy is doing really well. God has blessed him. We see how, <laughs> we, we see how he's blameless, and he's, he's upright. He's doing things well. And then in verse 13 to, to 22, we see crazy things actually happen to him. So the Sabians come from either the north or the south, I can't remember, and they kill a large part of his servants. We see how fire comes from heaven and devours all of his sheep. The Chaldeans come in and steal all of these camels and kill his servants. And then another tragedy we see how all of the, the children that they spoke about were having a feast in, in the oldest brother's house, and the winds came 
and the house collapsed and all of the children passed away. And, and then in 2 verse 7, to top it off, Satan went from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. And then verse 11 to 13. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So soles of his feet, um, top of his head, covered in sores. So just imagine this. Like you, you this really wealthy man, the, the greatest of the East. And one after each other, these things just start happening to him. And boom, he's confronted with this thing of worldview. How do I see God? How do I see God interacting with my world? And what is my responsibility in all of these things? So then in 2 verse 11 to 13, we see how three of Job's friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him. And they came each from his own place. Eliphaz, the, I'm not going to pronounce all of their places, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They made an appointment together to come and show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. <laughs> and they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. And it's, it's interesting for me. This, um, they came. They made all of this effort after hearing what has happened to him to to sympathize and comfort him. And they started off really well of coming to meet him in the place where he's at and sitting with him in the dust, not saying anything, just being there with him. And I think it's a great start, and we'll see how they messed it up later on. But um, just uh, I was chatting to a friend also this week who's also been through some things this year, and we were just saying how... Um, even within the church, like people have a desire to help, but they don't always know how. So you have on the one side the people that just completely shy away from wanting to show um, or like interact because it will be awkward and they don't know how to handle the situation. And on the other side, people come in and they just try and give advice. Um, but I think this, this first part, just for us as a church even, um, there's something beautiful about meeting people where they are at and just being there, not feeling the obligation to say anything, to explain anything, but just being there to show sympathy and comfort. Um, and that's just for anyone out there. I think if you have people in your heart, if you see the people in your community within the church suffering, it really does mean a lot to just show up. So we get to chapter 3, and Job starts speaking. So he breaks the silence after seven days and he starts speaking. And it's, if you've read the book of Job, it's hectic. So he pretty much laments the day that he was born. And then in verse 11, one of the phrases, why did I not die at birth? Come out from the, why did I not die at birth? Come out from the room and expire. And the, the whole, this whole chapter, he's actually just going on about why? Why am I alive? Why are these things happening? And as soon as he starts speaking, his friends are triggered. And they see this as an opportunity to now start giving advice. We see that in, in chapter 4, verse 2, the first friend comes and he says, If one ventures a word with you, will you be patient? Yet you can keep from 
speaking. And it's like he just unlocked something, and now all of the friends were like, okay, cool. <laughs> Here's my opportunity. Let me share with you how this thing plays out and, and what has happened. And then from chapter 4 right through to chapter 38, we have this dialogue between Job and these three friends of his. And I'm not going to go into, into the detail. It's a very poetic and Eastern text. Um, but there's certain trends that, that come out just as these guys are speaking. And pretty much what, what I want to come down to in, in, in those three areas that I said is one thing that comes through very clearly is they hold a very high picture of God's justice and the way that God works and that, that God is always just. And the second part that you see is that they, they really hold fast to this thing that in God's justice, in God's wisdom, he set up the world to function according to certain principles. And the main principle that they emphasize is that when people do good, they get blessed. And when there's sin, where there's iniquity, they are punished. And so looking at Job's situation and looking at Job's lament, all of them in different ways come and express, like, based on this thing, God is just. This is the way that the world functions. So if you're experiencing suffering, there's definitely something that you have done to cause this. We see Eliphaz in his first section speaking about Job's suffering as being the discipline from God. We see Bildad saying, that either him or his children have sinned against God. We see Zophar speaking about the inequity that, that Job must have carried in his heart because God always punishes the wicked. And Job, along this whole story, just like, guys, <laughs> I know that I was blameless. And we see that in chapter 1, how... It wasn't the fact that he, he sinned. It wasn't the fact that these sort of things happened. And it's, it's actually interesting. If you, if you think about possibly scenarios that you've been in in terms of, of suffering or dif difficulty that you have been through, or in the advice that you give, how common is this thing actually where, where the starting point for people to come in is there must have been something that you did wrong. There must have been some door that you opened through sin or that some grandfather's cousin dabbled with and resulted in you sitting with depression. Um, and I'm, like, I'm not saying that it's never those cases, but it's just it's way too common for me that that's the entry point that we go in with. Like there has to be some sort of sin. There has to be some sort of brokenness in your own life that has ca caused these things. And what we're going to get to now as we move through the book of Job, there's, there's so many more nuances when it comes to these sort of things. And put yourself in Job's shoes. Like imagine going through all of those things of losing everyone and everything, knowing that you didn't do anything that these guys have said, and still they're just going and going and going and going. The, the nice thing about the book is that we, we actually do get the opportunity to see what goes on in Job's own mind when it comes to these things. So other than just 
his defense against his friends. It's like, guys, come on. How many times do I have to say this? I didn't do anything wrong. We actually also see something of his worldview and the way that he processes it. So when we, we start off um, just after his children have passed away, we, we see the statement that, that's actually really powerful where he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's, that's incredible to be able to say something like that. But then as the, as the story goes on, I don't know if it's an exposing something deeper or is it just the, the extent of suffering that then starts changing the way that he sees certain things. Um, and I think just even for, for some of us sitting here, um, that quick momentary suffering is often easier to just like, cool, this is what is true compared to, okay, I'm sitting with this thing, I'm walking with this thing, and it's not going away, it's not going away. So we see, as time goes on, um, how his own worldview comes out. And in chapter 21, verse 7 to 9, we see how he actually challenges this idea that this so the sinful is not always punished. So he says, why do the wicked live and reach old age and grow mighty in power? Their offspring are established in their presence and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear and no rod of God is upon them. So he's saying like, even though we tend to have this picture of when we do good, we get blessed and when we do evil, we are punished. It's like if we look at the world around us, it's not actually the case that the wicked are always punished. The rod of God is not always upon them. In fact, he points out that they, there's great places of safety um, and there's, there's a sense of abundance in their lives. So he challenges that idea of the way that the world functions. In chapter 23, verse 10 to 13, he says, But he knows the way that I take when he has tried me. I shall come out as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. But he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. So, this, so on the one side, the wicked are not always punished. But Job is also saying, like, I know that I'm in the right. Like, if God has to test me, I will come out as gold. And then the third part of, of the things that we see him saying is that this is actually God that is inflicting all these hectic things on me. And that's in chapter 16, verse 79. Surely now God has worn me out. He has made desolate all my company. And he has shriveled me up, which is a witness against me. And my leanness has risen up against me. It testifies to my face. He has torn me in his wrath and hated me. He has gnashed my teeth at me. And my, <laughs> my adversity sharpens his eye against me. Like that is very, very strong words in the way that he speaks about God. So now we, we get this picture of Job saying, I know I'm in the right. God is punishing me, like inflicting all of these things on me, and the world is going on not according to these principles of the, the good being rewarded 
and the evil being punished. And you, you get the sense of, of resentment um, towards God. You get the sense of like, what's going on? And I think a big part of it, and, and just also in the conversation that I had this week, we were saying is part of the problem that we have is this thing of I did right puts me at the center of the story. It makes me the main character, and everything is supposed to function around me. Like, I'm entitled to a good life because... And we see that even with unbelievers. And then in the church, I give everything to Jesus. I've sacrificed so much. How can you? Or I deserve this. And we know that, like, uh, hopefully our feel is that this isn't an accurate picture of what reality is. But we actually also see how God comes against all of these things that were said in the book. So we know that this response is wrong. And firstly, towards the friends. And it's actually, <laughs> it's actually interesting to me, just a side note. People sometimes actually use Job's friends' words scripturally and saying like in giving advice or saying something about God but in in chapter 40 verse 2 we we see sorry not 40 verse 2 but we see how how God's anger burns against Job's friends like the advice that they gave is not good but also we see God responding to Job and in 40 verse 2 Quite harshly, he says, shall a fault find a contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. And then verse 38, 1 to 7. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. For who stretched the line upon it? <laughs> On what words base it sunk? Or, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And from chapter 38 right through to 41, we, we see how God just throws these questions at Job. And it's almost just in the imagery that he uses, and um, you can actually go read it. It's, it's as if he gives Job this, this tour of the universe. And he asks him the, these, these sort of questions like, where were you when this happens? Consider this thing. Consider, and he mentions these crazy animals and stuff. It's like, tell me. What do you think about this? And just, I'm just picturing like, how I would have responded in that situation. Like, oh. <laughs> and we see Job not speaking again until God is actually finished with everything that he said. Or in, in, verse, in chapter 40, there's a, there's a, a place where he's just like, uh, I'm not, not saying anything further. But in, in all of these things, that in the questions that God asks and in the things that he showcases, there's a few stuff that stands out for me. And, and the one, I think, that's very evident is the world is way more complex than we make it out to be. Like, 
it's, it's nice to have this, this understanding of the world that's governed by these three principles. But the world is way more nuanced, and there's so many more factors that play a role in this. Another thing that stands out is that thing that comes against the me at the center of the story. I'm just realizing you are actually nothing. If you consider the universe, consider all of these things and how it fits in, it's like you are actually not everything. And the third is just this reality of who God is. And it's interesting, like, so Job and his friends come with all these sort of things, and God doesn't actually answer their questions. God doesn't put his finger on, like, well, okay, so this is exactly what you saw wrong. This is the answer. This is the reason why it happened. There's just this display of, of the glory of God, this reality of, like, his ways are so much bigger, so much greater than we can ever understand. And it's, for me at least, it's, it's a bit uncomfortable because I, I want answers. I want to know why I'm going through certain things. I want to know, coming out on the other side, this is the reason why I had to go through this. But the picture of God that, that the book of Job paints is, is actually being okay with that tension of, I don't understand. But in the midst of that, God, like this almighty, sovereign God who's in control of different things, and I think this is a, a crucial, crucial building block just in, in keeping the faith when faced with suffering or suffering of other people. Of not being thrown of like how I'm doing things right. How can God allow, allow this? So I, I think this is important. But just in, in preparation, I just thinking about my own journey as well, it, it, it feels it's, it's true and it's important but it's not sufficient to just have this picture. Because if we stop there, it's easy to have this cold image of a sovereign God who's in control, who does his thing, but there's still the reality of the things that we are going through. There's still the reality of our brokenness and of our suffering and the way that we experience it. And even though we can theologically understand like, God is just, God does these certain things. There's something about the character of God that we also need to know. And that's what I love about the message of the Bible that's so different for me than any other religion that we, we read about. Of how it's not this God that's removed, but this God who from the get-go makes a commitment towards us as a people. Who despite our brokenness and the, despite the way that we mess up, comes and meets us in our brokenness. We see right through the Old Testament even how, how God speaks about himself as, a, as compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. We see in different places how he comes and comforts his people, how he comes and sets them free, how he meets them in their brokenness. And then we see the story of Jesus where it's also not just a God that shows compassion, but a God that steps into our world to come and experience the brokenness of man, who's made like us in every single way. And we, we see in Jesus' life how he's confronted with a lot of the things that, 
that we would go through. We see him face the death of a friend. And we see how he cries. We see in his relationship with other people how he's betrayed, how people turn against him. We see how he has to go through intense physical suffering and spiritual suffering. We see how he even gets to the point of of crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the Christian narrative and this this picture of God is is not just a God that shows compassion from the outside, but as Hebrews says, a, a God that is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, in our brokenness, because in every single way he was made like us. In every single way he's able to meet us. And so just thinking about these sort of two sides of it, this theological understanding of, of God and his, him being in control and the world being more complex than I, I realize, and then this other relational side, my experience has been um, the theological side I can ground myself in quite easily, but the relational side is, is much more of a challenge to hold on to when faced with difficulty. So maybe just also to share a bit. Um, so many of you have heard um, just my journey over the over the last year or so. There was a, a stage, I think it was about September last year, where we also um, met outside, and there was the the guy from Bristol. I can't remember his name now. Clarence. So Clarence came and preached, and it was a really cool sermon, and he. Um, shared about Jesus meeting people among the tombs and um, in their broken places and stuff. And at, at that stage, um, I started st- struggling physically with a few different health stuff, um, started struggling psychologically and like really struggled to make sense of stuff. And he, he called people up to the front to pray, to pray for them that Jesus would meet them in, in their places of brokenness. And I responded like wanting physical healing, like wanting God to touch me. And as I stood in front, um, I felt the Lord saying that I've got a warped picture of who he is. And I was like, (laughs) what do you mean? And as people started praying for me, it it was as if God just took off this outer layer and started pressing on different areas of my heart. And it was scary. It It was really scary just to realize these things. So... To <laughs> open up a bit and, and share, um, I realized that this, this picture of God being in control, all these things, he always makes things work out for the good, that in my mind, I started holding on to the picture of God as this cold teacher who, when suffering comes, when difficult times come, I know it's for my good. He's teaching me some sort of lesson. I just need to press through and go on. With that, I, I didn't see the compassion of God. I didn't see the loving God. And, and as I was standing here in front, um, I realized that I lost my trust in, in the things that are actually important. Um, I, I didn't believe that I can trust God with my heart anymore just because of the way that things have been playing out. I realized that even with church things and the way that I, I give myself and stuff, I... I felt alone. 
I, I knew God was doing things, but it didn't feel that he was with me. Um, there wasn't a reality of, of him in my life, him being close in the midst of my suffering. And never mind the fact of God being compassionate. It was very much this like, so he's teaching me a lesson and I just have to push through. And it was, it was scary. And if, if, if you were here that Sunday, you would remember I was on the floor for, I don't know how long after the service though. And it was like, it was as if God sort of made me aware of this thing. And I wish it was just the switches were off, boom, switches are now on and we just do our thing. And it's, oh, it's almost a year now um, since, since that. And still, those are the things that I'm, like, I'm challenged with. I think like it's, I became aware of it, but still in, in the difficult times, um, I need to ask myself, like, am I really experiencing the nearness of God? Am I really seeing Him as compassionate? Do I really feel that I can trust Him in these things? And what do I go by? I think that's a big thing. I can't look at my circumstances. I can't just, this is the experience. Like It is at this time where I think twofold. The one, having to learn how to stand on the word of truth. And having people, and I'm really grateful for Stuart also in this regard, of just, this is what is true. Remember what is true. Um, but on the other side, and, and I actually, this was huge for me of actually expressing, God, this is where my heart is at. I'm struggling to trust you. Please come and show me that you're trustworthy. Yeah, and it's a liberating thing. Uh, yeah, it was, it was difficult for me to actually say something like that. Like, how can I tell God that I don't trust him? But just that confidence of like, yo, God, I'm not experiencing this, but I want to. I want you to come and meet me in, in these places. 